clear, this is a translation that is a translation from a translation. Okay, so Kuzari was written in Arabic. It was written in Arabic by Rabbi Yehuda Levi. Rabbi Yehuda Levi lived from 1075 to 1140 in the golden age of the Jews in Spain. But the Jews were not, they were not a regular, regular citizens, but they were certainly not treated the same way that they were treated yeah. in Christian areas, right? So yeah. it, it is important to recognize that the, the Muslims at that point at least were treating Jews more nicely than the Christians at that time. Muslims at that time believed in, in, uh, in wisdom. They believed in philosophy. They were open, they were enlightened, so to speak. And the Christians were certainly very fundamentalist and very backwards. And, you know, if you if you deviated from the Catholic Church, they, you know, they would kill you. You know, if you deviated in, in philosophy, they would kill you, right? So they were far less accepting. Uh, obviously, times have changed and much has changed over the last 800 plus years. One of the things that has changed notably is that the, the switch in, in terms of their attitudes. Now, Ruda Levy is writing to two different people, or two different kinds of people, we should say. He is writing to people who are very affected by the Arabic philosophers, who were quite, quite brilliant, the Arabic philosophers, who, who saw themselves as being the next link in the chain of the Greek philosophy. And these Arab philosophers had made tremendous inroads in terms of the intelligentsia, right, in terms of the intellectuals who were primarily, as typically we find, were Jewish, right? So they had made inroads in terms of this very, very bright and, and very elegant logical system of philosophy, and they had made inroads amongst the Jewish community. So on the one hand, he's writing to address some parts of what the philosophers have to say, and we'll discuss that in a minute. On the other hand, he's also writing to address a very prevalent inwardly Jewish movement, which was called the Karaites. The Karaites, right? After we have the Tzidukim and the Vaisusim, who are people in the Second Temple era who do not believe in the Oral Torah, we have the Karaites who don't believe in the validity of the Oral Torah. And then we come to modern-day analog, right? The uh, at least reform for sure. I think we're probably pretty safe to say conservative movement in terms of being a divinity of the Oral Torah. I, I think that's safe to say that they don't believe in a divinity of the Oral Torah. If I'm wrong, uh, I don't know. The, this idea, the Karaites, that it was a very prevalent idea. And what he wanted to establish was the veracity of the oral Torah as well, and that the provenance of the oral Torah was completely unimpeachable. That was one thing he wanted to establish. He also wanted to establish something very similar to what Rev Hirsch was trying to establish as against the reform movement of that day. What he wanted to establish is that the reform movement of that day in the 1800s based on Mendelssohn, which we said was really based on the Rambam, which they was taken out of context. But the idea that they were both talking about is the idea, which was based on actually philosophy, because they were both were great philosophers, which is that God, to some extent, the, our purpose in this world is to come to a greater, more perfect understanding of what God is. And the greater, more perfect understanding we can come to of God, that's the greatest level that we can reach. The greatest heights that we can reach as a human is that. There's reasons for that, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Greek philosophers believed that if God is indeed omnipotent and omniscient, and if God is so, so powerful, why would he possibly care about what I'm doing in the privacy of my own home? Why would he care if I put my shoe on the right foot first or the left foot first? Like, why would he possibly care about that? He wouldn't involve himself in such minor, trivial details, right? And that's why the philosophers believe that God is incredible, incredible that they had right. 
And therefore, he has no interest at all in what happens in this world. And the only thing that's really an important goal for us to strive for is to come to a greater intellectual understanding of what God is. But in terms of practical, practically speaking, actions, deeds, that's not really so relevant. That's what the Greek philosophers believe. That's what the Arabic philosophers believe to a certain extent. And that was creeping into Judaism as well. So what Rav Hirsch in his time wants to say is you have to recognize Hashem cares about your deeds, right? Your thoughts are not necessarily that important. When the Rambam comes along and writes his, his 13 fundamentals of faith, many people disagreed, as we've said in the past, because that wasn't really important. Because when, you're, you're, when you try to put a creed, so to speak, about Jewish thought, you can give people the wrong impression about what's important to Judaism, right? That's what Rav Hirsch was coming to explain. It's about the physical deeds that we do in this world. And the Kuzari is doing a lot of the same thing as well. He's coming to address that it's about the physical actions because God does care if when I'm taking the four species, am I taking the four species and the fourth one is an esrog or if it's a lemon, God cares. The Greek philosophers would say that's foolishness. The reason why we have this mitzvah is to help us develop a greater sense of something, whatever it might be. But the details, that's not so important, right? And indeed, that was something that was happening. So the Kuzari Rav Yehuda Alevi wants to fight against this idea. Now, he was well-versed in philosophy, and he recognized the beauty of philosophy, and he recognized that sometimes it gives us a, a terminology and an understanding that really does help us develop a deeper connection to God. But that being said, there are dangers to getting too caught up with philosophy. And there's also a danger, and this has happened throughout history, and when people look at philosophy and they have a, a weaker understanding of Judaism, they come to think that Judaism is a undeveloped religion, so to speak, right? And somewhat backwards. And there are things about it that aren't really where it should be because from a philosophical standpoint, sometimes they don't compute. So he obviously also wants to establish beyond the shadow of a doubt that Judaism is correct. And whenever there's a contradiction, make no mistake, Judaism is correct. You just have to figure out where the contradiction lies and perhaps they're actually saying the same thing. Oftentimes they are. Now, the way in which he goes about writing this, so he, he really has a goal here. He has a goal here to bring about the eternal truths of the Torah. He has a goal here to bring about the fact that the oral and written Torah come hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. He has a goal to show that the practical deeds is what's important. The manner in which he chooses to do so is a fascinating way, right? He has this dialectic. He has this famous dialogue between a, a king who had a dream. And this king's dream is a dream where he's trying to figure out what's the correct religion. He wakes up from the dream and says, I'm going to do my due diligence. And he invites a bunch of people in. He invites a rabbi, he invites a Greek philosopher, and so on and so forth. And he asks each of them to make their case. Why would they have to offer is the most important thing and the correct way of living. And in this conversation that then takes place between this the, the king and these different individuals, in the back and forth, the, the author of Yehuda Levi is able to put into the dialogue, whatever he wishes to put in, so as to help establish his point. Now, why does it have to be in a dialogue? Because it's far more memorable and it's a lot easier to listen to, right? As we know, whenever you are reading a book, if there's no tension, then it's not enjoyable. You're not going to, you're not going to feel connected, right? It has to start with tension, right? You know, at the beginning of um, War and Peace, uh, Anna Karenina, actually, it says um, all happy families are alike and all unhappy families are unhappy in their own way, right? Because be happy and have nothing, nothing, it's all boring. There's nothing exciting about it. There has to be a sense of tension. If there's no tension, there's nothing drawing you in. There's no hook, right? So when you have a dialogue, then there's a hook. There's a conversation. There's a back and forth. And that's something you can get caught up in. 
the, the specific ideas, it's based on a true story. It's based on an incident that happens with um, Ibn Shaprut of the, who lived in, uh, I believe, about the 10th century. He writes about how he heard about a, a nation of people, the Khazars, who had converted to Judaism. And they converted to Judaism for different reasons. And there's some, some uh, basis to the story that he tells us, but the specific dialogue that he has is not necessarily based on a rea reality. It's based on a hypothetical dialogue that might have convinced this king, after having had some sort of a dream, to actually convert himself and his entire kingdom to Judaism. Okay? So what we're going to do is, and we're not going to start tomorrow night, because tomorrow night we're, we're going to be off for Tuesday night. As Hashem, we will start. And we'll actually start reading the book. And as we go through the book, that, that's the part of the introduction I think is important to really get out there and, and get down on paper, the basic ideas, the basic premise that we're going to be working through. But as we go through the book, we'll, we'll, we'll refer back to the introduction at times, and we'll see in the notes, th things will become clear. And, and like, like I said, it's more of a dialogue. It's going to be, it's going to be a little bit more, it's going to be slower to develop. People probably had better attention spans then. 